Our scripture reading this morning is taken from John 17, verses 20 through 23, and you can find it on page 1,680 in your pew Bibles. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Tradition. Yeah, a few of you already have Fiddler on the Roof going through your head just because I said that. This is a weekend full of traditions for many people, tradition of gathering with family, tradition of eating a certain type of food or a a specific dessert that you've been craving for a while and that, that as the season starts to turn, you go, oh yeah, soon I will be able to taste it. Tradition, it's Thanksgiving weekend. It is part of of kind of the cultural context we're in that we play into and and enter into these family traditions. Our family has a tradition not so much associated with this day in particular or this weekend, but it's a tradition we often play out around birthdays, but I think it's fitting for this Thanksgiving weekend. We call it I Remembers. And what we do is on somebody's birthday, we take the time to remember things about that person and and we go around the table and people share something they're thankful for about the person uh, whose birthday it is or something we remember about them. Occasionally, we remember the humiliating stories and we bring those up, all in good jest. But we often remember things and name things that during the past year were really meaningful to us that the other person did. And this morning I, I'm going to play a little bit with that idea of I remembers. But before I get into that, I also want to note that today is also a different type of celebration day. In a few moments, we're going to partake of communion together. And those of you who have been around here for a while know that typically we celebrate communion on the third or fourth Sunday of the month, and this is the first Sunday of the month. So what are we doing? Today is what's known as World Communion Sunday. It's been celebrated since in the 1930s. It was started by a a Presbyterian minister who said we need to recognize the unity of Christ's body. And if you think about that time frame in the late 1930s, that's when the start of World War II was going on. With all the tensions and animosity between people groups around Europe especially, but then around the world, and in the context of world conflict... This minister started saying, we need to celebrate communion. 
our unity as God's people. And so in that idea of recognizing the unity of God's people and also recognizing that we are preparing for communion, I want to do a little bit of eye remembering and I actually wrote it out today. So I'm going to go up here and set this down so I can read it. On this Thanksgiving weekend and World Communion Sunday, I pause to give thanks and remember the Chinese Christians who have taken positions in various construction companies and trades so that they can go into the Middle Eastern countries that are developing new cities and as they do so, bring the gospel with them bringing the gospel into countries that are often closed to us Western Christians. On this day, I am reminded and remember the spirit-filled joy, the calls for justice, and even the martyrdom of Christians who have survived decades of poverty and corruption in Haiti, Dominican Republic, Honduras, Nicaragua, Colombia, and many other places in Central and South America. In giving thanks this weekend, I recall the Christian poets and artists who created a groundswell demand for human dignity that contributed to the disintegration of communist control in Eastern Europe. I remember being in Budapest, Hungary for the first Easter they could publicly celebrate in more than 40 years and being in awe of their faith that had survived underground for so long. As we prepare to receive communion on this World Communion Sunday, I call to mind the faithful witness and prophetic lament of African-American Christians who endured centuries of systemic racism, lynchings, and other horrors in the United States often at the hands of those who misuse the Bible to justify white supremacy. I remember the witness of fellow Christians within First Nations communities here and in the States whose stories are marked by violated treaties that tore their families apart and their communities from their lands, and yet whose faith in God our Creator has remained steadfast. On this Thanksgiving weekend, I call to mind the many Christians who spend themselves caring for the earth, recognizing that through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has restored to us our creational vocation as caretakers, earth keepers. They remind us that the nearly incalculable human migration of the past 30 years is inseparable from our failure to collectively care for the land that our Creator has entrusted to us. On this World Communion Sunday, I also think with gratitude of my seminary classmates who now serve in countries like Nigeria, Madagascar, South Korea, of friends serving in Rwanda, of our best man and his family who are in Cairo, of a former youth leader who's been a missionary among Algerian refugees in France for 20 years, of college friends who served in China for 15 years and now serve as pastoral support for missionaries from all over the world. I smile 
as I remember Frankie and Ivy who worshiped with us here for six months and now have returned to Hong Kong and then on to China as they prepared to plant churches in Mongolia. I remember with joy those we just took an offering for, Carrie and Dan, Minor and Alicia, Colin and Miranda. They are witnesses of God's global community to all of us. And as I think of these sisters and brothers, I also think of the many generations of believers who came before me, before us, my parents and grandparents for sure, but also those who ventured into northern Europe with the gospel of Jesus Christ centuries ago. While the particular people may be lost to us, the stories of their witness stretches back through church history to the early church and the eyewitnesses who who saw Jesus in the flesh, who witnessed his life and death and resurrection and his ascension. For the faithfulness of those first disciples to cross cultures, bringing the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Turkey, Egypt, Ethiopia, Rome, Spain, and India, all within the first few decades after Pentecost. And as I remember those stories, I am brought back to this text. All of this thanksgiving and remembering me, remembering leads me to return to Jesus' prayer on the night he was betrayed. And the part Jessica read comes at the end of a prayer that prays not only for Jesus as he prepares to endure the cross, but prays for those immediate disciples who will go out from him and then prays for us. I'd like to highlight just three aspects of that prayer. The first is that the last thing Jesus does, the last part of his prayer before he is betrayed and arrested is this, that he prays for us. My prayer is not for them alone being his disciples. I pray also for those who who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. I remember reading this at the age of uh, 16, sitting in a basement. We had just moved to Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, I had finished grade 10 and felt like my world had been upended. I didn't know anybody there, and I felt lost. And in that space, reading this text, I realized that I was one of those people who came to believe through the witness of Jesus' disciples. That Jesus, as he was preparing to die, included me in his prayer. Those of us gathered here today are not foreign to Jesus. We are not unknown to him, but we are a people who were on his heart and mind even as he prepared to go to the cross, even as he prepared to endure a suffering that we can scarcely imagine. We were the people on his heart on his heart and mine, Jesus praying for us. The second thing is that his prayer is for our unity. As an academic and theologian, I like to think that his prayer would have been that they might remember right doctrine, that they might be able to know the truth of the gospel, that they might know all these things. I spend a lot of time in books. And yet, that's not what his prayer is. 
His prayer isn't that we get it all right, but that we are united with one another. Earlier in that evening, he said he gave a command to his disciples that they would love one another. For in loving one another, the whole world would come to know that they are Jesus' disciples. Our relationship with God is found through that unity we have with one another, a unity that's not because we all agree 100% with each other, but a unity that insists on loving one one another even when we disagree, even when we have different perspectives. And Jesus' prayer is reflecting that. It's teaching us that, that as he prays, that all of us might be united. And notice that it's a unity that's caught up in the love of the Father and the Son together, that we might be united even as you and I are united, Father, he prays. As Pastor Hayden reminded us last week, that is a mutual love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And what we are being called into is essentially a joyful dance with them where we get to participate in the love and unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And that is what God prays for. Jesus is praying that we too might experience that type of inseparable unity from one another because in doing so, we would experience the love of God. But what's more is that unity is not something he says, go and do it on your own. Even in this prayer, he recognizes that he gives his glory to us, that all of us may be one. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, in them and I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That glory that Jesus is speaking of is the Spirit. That God has given us the Spirit to to essentially become the answer to his prayer that by Christ and the Spirit, we might be united. We might be capable of loving one another. And finally, the way that the world will know Jesus and the love of God the Father is through our unity with one another. This becomes the culmination of Jesus' prayer, that as he prays for our unity, it is a prayer that's not just so that we can be happy together, but it's so that the work of Christ, of reconciling all things in heaven and on earth to the Father, might continue through us. Ultimately, this unity is evident as we enter into each other's suffering, even as Jesus entered into our suffering. The church has admittedly failed miserably at this kind of love, In fact, we have often caused suffering in relationships and situations where the Spirit sent us to bring healing and hope. While claiming the name of Jesus Christ for ourselves, we Christians have far too often denied the image of God in others, whether in historic situations of the Crusades, residential homes, slavery, or in contemporary situations of nationalism, sexism, and sexual exploitation, and blatant greed and pursuits of political power. We as Christians have rejected, diminished, violated, and even killed those we have been called to serve, including other Christians. Instead of bringing God's peace, we have brought more of the world's pain into God's family. And we need to confess our participation in those sinful actions and patterns. Yet when we do enter the suffering of others with the love and grace of Jesus Christ, the world changes 
The world takes notice and lives are transformed. I don't know if you caught it this week, but in the midst of all the news about what's wrong in the United States, there was also news about uh, the new, uh, newest winners of the Nobel Peace Prize. I was struck by the story of Dr. Dennis Mukwege, who is one of this year's co-recipients of the Nobel Prize. His work has been to end sexual violence as a weapon of war and to restore dignity and health to those who have suffered trauma through that violence. As a Christian, he roots his work within Christ's redemptive work in his own life. It's quite a fascinating story to listen to how he entered into medicine. In a speech to the Lutheran World Federation last year, Dr. Mukwege said, The church of today and of tomorrow faces a number of challenges. Climate change, terrorism, migration, refugees, sexual violence, and corrupt governments, particularly in Africa, who make and remake constitutions in order to protect their interests at the expense of the people. If we are Christ, we have no choice but to be alongside the weak, the wounded, the refugees, and women suffering discrimination. If we are Christ's, we must speak out. We must condemn evil. God has given the church the gift of speech for it to be the voice of the voiceless, to free the captives, and always to watch for the coming of God's kingdom. End quote. In short, we are to love others just as Christ loved us. This communion meal is our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In becoming one with Jesus Christ, we are made into one family with all of God's people throughout the world and sent into the mission of God's children everywhere. Therefore, by receiving this gift from God, we are committing ourselves to enter into the suffering of others, regardless of their cultures, languages, national borders or political affiliations, gender, class, race, education, cognitive or physical abilities or impairments, by which the world would otherwise divide us. In our common sharing of this cup and this bread, we recognize our unity in Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit who is at work among us. We commit ourselves to being the tangible presence of God's coming kingdom here and now. So on this Thanksgiving weekend, and more importantly, on this World Communion Sunday, let us remember and believe and live the good news that in Jesus Christ, God has so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray.